You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. Our guest in this episode is Steve Posnack, ONC's Deputy National Coordinator for Health IT. Host senior health information technology consultants Ken Kleinberg, Jocelyn Keegan, and Pooja Barbara talk with Steve about the transition of the new administration, FIRE, moving to APIs in healthcare, and and the mission to achieve interoperability. We hope you find today's episode helpful and that you'll share your topic ideas with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we break down and discuss some of Health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are Health IT consultants who work across all stakeholder groups, payers, healthcare delivery entities, pharma, health IT vendors, health information exchanges, and government agencies, and were viewed as an independent trusted party, the Switzerland of consulting. I want to give a special call out to Gary Austin, who everyone affectionately calls Lumpy, for his great work moderating our more than a dozen podcasts in 2020, of which I had a chance to be a part. I'm excited to be rotating in as host for our many new episodes as we head now into 2021. Now, on to today's podcast. My co-hosts, Jocelyn Keegan and Pooja Babra, and I are especially excited to welcome our guest, Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator for Health Information Technology for the Office of the National Coordinator, or more widely known as ONC. On this episode, among the key topics we'll be asking Mr. Posnack about are the administrative transition, his views forward to what 2020 might have in store for us, and his insights on the ongoing role of application programmer interfaces, specifically Fire APIs. First, before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to give my co-hosts a chance to briefly introduce themselves. Jocelyn, why don't you please go first? Sure. Jocelyn Keegan, I lead our payer practice here at POCP, as well as run the DaVinci uh, uh, project over at HL7. I'm really excited to have Steve with us today. It's great to see him in the deputy role. Uh, I don't believe that there's anyone that deserves this more. I watched his career for a number of years, and I think him and Dr. Rucker uh, have a lot to be proud of, of what they've been able to accomplish in the most recent years. And I think the great thing about the work that ONC does and that our friends at CMS do is that it's nonpartisan. Everybody wants to make healthcare better. And I'm really excited to see the folks at ONC, who I honestly believe are some of the best and brightest folks in our country, be able to move forward as we go through our transition here. And uh, I also look forward to figuring out what uh, really dorky or silly pun that Steve is going to manage to get in today. So I'm going to hand it off to Pooja so she can introduce herself and pressure's on FOSDAC. Great. Thanks, Jocelyn. So Pooja Barbara and I actually run our PBM and pharmacy practice at Point of Care Partners. I'm excited to have Steve on the podcast as well. Um, I've been working with the Karen Alliance for about two years now. I still remember when we actually announced at HIMSS uh, 2018 that they were going to be starting up a price transparency work group, and that's really been my main focus. But I've been following the work that the Karen Alliance has been doing around the blue button and giving patients access to their claims and clinical information and have been closely following some of the implementers. And just yesterday, I ended up presenting with Kristen Valdez, the CEO of BeWell, and she demonstrated you know, how their application allows patients to download their records. Uh, they 
incorporated the price transparency information. And I got all these messages afterwards saying like, what a what an impact this has had, not only in the healthcare IT co- uh, community, but really for us as, as consumers of healthcare ourselves and as caregivers. I know, you know, we're all caregivers for someone. So that's, it's a big deal. So looking forward to kind of hearing what's next, um, especially now that ONC has definitely delivered on the promise of being able to open up patient data. I'm so excited to hear kind of what's coming. Okay, great. Now, let's greet our guest, Steve Posnack, ONC, Deputy National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or as he's humbly described himself, the number one, number two, working closely with current coordinator, Dr. Don Rucker. Steve, welcome to the Dish on Health IT. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us today. How about we start with you telling us more fully about yourself, uh, how you came to ONC, I believe you've been there longer than anyone, having worked with all 10 official and interim national coordinators. And tell us what's been your biggest focus and what you consider to be ONC's biggest accomplishment of 2020. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate the uh, the invite. I'm excited to be here. I guess you could call me the main dish, the, the main course on the dish. So just get it started right, right, Jocelyn? So, Thank you very um, much. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I will not disappoint now that the challenge has been accepted. So quick, quick bit about me. I have a technical background, uh, bachelor's in computer science, went into, I defer to Delta, as I like to say, and uh, got uh, a double master's in information security and health policy. Uh, That happened through a course of luck and uh, maybe pluck as well, getting in involved at, at the right time. And, and a lot of this, I think, for our conversation you know, throughout today is going to be about timing and just the intersection and alignment of industry timing. So for me, I was coming out of grad school uh, right in the early 2000s. ONC had just been created by an executive order under uh, President W. Bush. Uh, and I hustled my way into getting a, a not-to-exceed kind of temporary appointment in our office when we were kind of in the primordial ooze of being formed. Started in July 2005. So it's been over 15 years, as as you mentioned, Ken, and have certainly seen a lot. I spent about nine years in what is now our Office of Policy in general, and then shifted over to lead our technology office for about five years, and now have had the opportunity to step into the Deputy National Coordinator role, which is the uh, senior career official for the office, which is kind of surreal for me because, you know, for those of you that have spent a lot of time with a company and you kind of work your way up slowly, chipping away, it's just a remarkable experience to, to have the trust of my colleagues and also be in a leadership position for the office. I've learned a lot. I've picked up some mannerisms, good and bad, from uh, past national coordinators and, and leaders that I've had, just like you do when you have parents. And uh, certainly to the point of, you know, looking back and now recapping, you know, this this term of this administration, we got put on a journey for the 21st Century Cures Act really about six years ago. And that's when we first started to provide technical assistance to our colleagues on the Hill about what would ultimately turn into the, the package that was the 21st Century Cures Act. And you know, you know, it includes FDA, NIH, other sorts of reforms government-wide around precision medicine and other just scientific advances. It also included you know, a number of new authorities for uh, my office, ONC, and one of them being the substantive overhaul of our certification program, as well as the new legal paradigm for information blocking. And having gotten those rules out, you know, after many, many years of working on the regulatory process, going through the public comments and the engagement, I think that's probably the, the, the crown jewel of our accomplishments for 2020. Thanks, Steve. It's been really exciting to see the work that ONC has been doing uh, over the years. I am also a huge fan. So let's go ahead and address some of the biggest and most timely questions our audience uh, may have for you. 
Could you tell us what we can expect from the transition to the Biden administration? Perhaps say something about the way CMS and ONC together. Will things slow down for a period as new appointees get up to speed? And as someone who's worked with ONC through four administrations, you're probably the best person we could ask about this. What will the transition look like and what insight can you provide into what's coming in 2021? Yeah, I, I call this uh, what happened on the last season of administration. To do the bit of the recap, right, we have, you know, our role as career officials is to make sure that things keep working. And, and certainly in, in the midst of, you know, the pandemic experience that we're having, the dedicated staff, thank you, Jocelyn, for the, 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 the shout out earlier. Everyone is committed to keep things going. Um, you know, it'll be sad to see Dr. Rucker go, you know, as part of the transition. You know, he's been a great colleague and a friend and, and certainly committed to the mission, you know, of the office. But we were set forward on a course related to the 21st Century Cures Act, so there's more work to be done in implementing the statute. As was noted earlier, Health IT has largely experienced bipartisan support. So I think that will continue over time. And, you know, you start to see changes in vocabulary. That's a little bit of the, the terminology shift, you know, that, that typically happens with the change of administration. But when it comes to the work that we do, regardless of the, the type or focus or political kind of leaning of, a, of an administration, the, the technology work and how technology can be used to support healthcare and, and just make it better is something that I think everybody's passionate about and sees how that can lead toward the outcome that they want, you know, regardless of kind of political affiliation. And uh, that's been one thing that's been really helpful for us, you know, in our in our work overall. If you're talking about doing, you know, CMS kind of oriented payment reform, you need technology, you need data. And so, you know, partly what I've been saying more recently is when you think about health data, think about ONC, because that is where we are. Uh, we work with the community from the standards development organizations all the way to you know, states, federal agencies that are doing policymaking, uh, procurement related activities, which is another area of influence for us. And, um, you know, back to our relationship with CMS, CMS is, is, you know, it's a little government agency. Most people haven't heard about. No, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're a trillion dollar operation, right? And there are the various centers. So, uh, you know, CMMI on the innovation side, the Centers for State, uh, you know, Clinical Quality and, and, and Safety. Um, and, uh, you know, we do work across the board there. Uh, you have the new office that's the Health Informatics and Burden Reduction where our great colleagues, you know, have been moved over into. Uh, and so they lead a lot of the informatics related work. So even though it does, you know, it's not visible all the time, we take our, the C in our middle name, you know, coordination very seriously. And we are always working with our colleagues across the board, even on the Medicaid, you know, related front as well, just to make sure that health IT is a part of their mission, uh, make sure that they understand where we're, where we're going from a national agenda perspective. And uh, to marry those priorities, because, you know, when we're cumulatively successful in investing and, and really pointing in the same direction from a federal agency perspective, that brings a, set, a sense of, of certainty, brings a sense of, of clarity and understanding to the industry that I know, you know, based on our experiences, uh, our colleagues in the field have, have really valued. So, you know, those are things that I think will continue throughout the administration. You know, we'll certainly have a, a greater focus on pandemic response. You know, I think that can be in the immediate frame. But, you know, the terms of administrations are at least four years. And uh, we also need to look at the long term because, as, as you all know from your work, uh, nothing changes all that quickly in, in the healthcare space in general. But then in the, in the space in which we're at, where it's the intersection of health policy and technology, uh, there's this constant evolution and, and almost like intertwining of the work that goes on where there's feedback loops that are constantly running. And, you know, CMS may do a payment rule one year and then, you know, 
other components of HHS. You have a, a monumental event like the DOD and VA, you know, acquiring an EHR, you know, from the private sector. And so those things change the landscape and the dynamic in which we work. Great. Thanks for that insight. Uh, you know, I think that if you're a provider, uh, you don't only read the ONC rules, you read the CMS rules. And if you're a payer, you don't only read the CMS rules, you also have to read the ONC rules. And uh, they, they certainly intertwine. And turning now to more specific questions about application program interfaces, several of us attended a White House event held in early December 2020 on accelerating APIs. There was a lot of exciting projects and progress being made in areas impacting the point of care all the way to public health. So let's dig into these APIs for a little bit first. Could you please tell us how you see APIs and the work of the fire accelerators, especially in supporting COVID response, as you just mentioned, and management of the pandemic going forward? Uh, fire is hot, obviously. And that's number two, Jocelyn, I keep your keep it score. So, you know, thanks for bringing up our API event. The recording is available for everyone in case you, any of your viewers want to want to tune in and check it out. Um, me interrupting people every, you know, few minutes doing the MC routine. But, you know, let's take it back first to the, the, the work that we did prior to the 21st Century Cures Act. There was lots of work with the industry on standards development. A fire at that time was still, you know, uh, in the new stages and, and industry adoption and really working its way up the, the hype curve, which is it's probably still ascending on. Then you had the 21st Century Cures Act passed at the end of 2016 in legislation. And I would try to point this out in some of my presentations. Congress referenced API. And so they, they legislated a very technical, um, you know, deployment kind of design, you know, pattern into legislation. And they, they gave us, you know, a, a magical paragraph to some degree to put forward as part of our certification program and our standard policy. I, I'd like to put a hyphen in between those usually because that's, that's the type of work that we do. So as we looked at our standard, you know, policy, explaining what the industry would need to do to support secure standardized, you know, APIs and uh, really start to push, you know, our work forward. So the event on December 1st was almost like when you see a, an NFL team and you see people running out and they've got their hands to the side, it's all like high fives. Uh, it was a real great opportunity after four hard years worth of work, you know, blue button developer conferences, various hymns, AMIA meetings, fire accelerators that were, you know, uh, created and uh, just continued incremental iteration by the industry to say, look at how far we've come. Look at all the deployment. Look at the commercial investment that's happened in industry. We had the cloud developers that were up there. We had a number of, of stakeholders, both in the provider community, the payer community, just showing all the, the um, innovative improvements that they've made. And they're starting to leverage APIs more and more. Fire is obviously the standard uh, du jour to drive that. Uh, and that goes in a large part toward where can we automate things? There's a lot of, there's a lot of repetitive transactions in healthcare, uh, lots of things that create burden, uh, lots of areas where um, human intervention, you know, can otherwise be impacted and enriched through better technology and tools. And, you know, the API-based ecosystem is one that we are well familiar with. Uh, we almost take for granted now in, in using our phones and all the apps and websites that we go to. They all are powered by APIs today. And that's a, you know, a vision that Dr. Rucker started right when he came on board. We need to make healthcare more API, you know, forward-leaning. Uh, more API focused, and you know we we supported that through the policy work that we did in our regulations, and we've also supported that through you know investments and just industry participation in initiatives, uh, like like as mentioned earlier with the Karen Alliance, with Da Vinci, with the other fire accelerators. We run something called the Fire at Scale Task Force, which you're well familiar with, 
And there's just a, a wide range of activities that, that we're now invested in, um, both from a financial and you know personnel capacity perspective. Right. Well, I'll ask Jocelyn to jump in here now to give her perspective on opportunities in this space. Jocelyn? Um, I think that was a great summary, um, Steve, but I would point out that cool kids don't make fire puns any longer. We've mo- moved on from that. So <laughs> we, um, oh, we, <laughs> we want, if we want to look at really where we are um, from an industry perspective, I think that the impact of COVID and the pandemic in general, I think, you know, probably falls into two classes when we think about sort of advancing APIs. And uh, and I think we've seen a little bit of this with the delay in some of the um, existing regs and rules. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit further on. But I think to me, um, there's a little bit of a silver lining in here for us in spite of the impacts or the delays where folks have been pulled away from maybe their work towards value-based care that they were doing on projects like DaVinci. What we're seeing, to Steve's point, is really this nascent development where people are standing up their own fire servers. They're not waiting on their vendors any longer to necessarily provide that solution for them. And they're becoming fire versant and they're understanding the role of APIs. I mean, there's nothing better that could have happened to splay open sort of the current state we we tolerate as U.S. you know members of the U.S. healthcare system, you know, with the just the lack of uh, interoperability or liquidity around clinical data. And I, I think that if you think about Steve's points around sort of thinking of ONC as freeing and giving us the tools to free clinical data so that we can get that innovation in the market and that we can see that ability to really change, you know, the structure of how people get their care and where they get their care and and how much data their caregivers have available to them. It's not about replacing or ripping out the existing standards. It's about where can we leverage these APIs and tools that we get out of FHIR to be able to sew together all these disparate parts. And so anyone literally being at stakes, I like to say sort of step one of 2000, right? Of becoming fire capable and to Steve's point at the event at the beginning of December, really showing that it's not just about healthcare IT, it's about all of these other folks, you know, that there's a monetization play in here, looking to enter healthcare as we really start to make this move forward to operate like, like the rest of the economy. So I'm actually really excited. And I think we've got the tools in place and look forward to see sort of, you know, what we can do in 2021 as we get back to more level footing and vaccines get put into place more widespread out in, you know, out in our population. All right, well, we've had a sports analogy and now uh, Jocelyn mentioned sewing. Uh, Pooja, would you like to weigh in here? Yeah, so um, I'm going to zoom out a little bit. And, you know, I, I do a lot on the strategy side. And I, I guess the way I look at this is, you know, we're moving even further out. And, you know, we're doing a, a project around advanced care planning right now. And if you think about it, the pandemic highlighted this, you know, so many people are ending up in the ER, they're having to be intubated. And it's not easy for providers to get that information, right, for a patient that's ending up in the hospital, whether they have a durable power of attorney, maybe they have a, a do not resuscitate, do not intubate order in place. You know, for someone like me who's 50 and was planning for like later in life, you know, is that something that I now need to change? And so what we're realizing is it's not just the HL7 fire accelerators that are taking what, you know, everyone's doing uh, around these APIs, but we're taking that and applying it in other areas. And so I know there's some work being done within HL7, but even outside of HL7, where we're now starting to look at, you know, things that have come out of the, you know, DaVinci, things that are coming out of the fire consent resource, even CDS hooks, the Argonaut project, how do we get that information to providers? So it's nice to see that, you know, even now there's kind of things outside of the scope of what we normally think about with the EHR vendors and areas in that, but the other people that are starting to pick it up and look at it as well. Right. Thanks, everyone, for your insights on that. So we've talked a little bit now about the app 
community and uh, the new role that they all play. What other stakeholders uh, haven't traditionally been part of this movement? We know public health, for example, will likely have a larger seat at the table moving forward. How about pharmacies as their role in the care team and as a major part of the COVID response? Will ONC be engaging with these stakeholders more frequently or be considering rules to close gaps in data exchange in those spaces? I understand pharmacies are covered under information blocking. Steve? So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the care continuum as a whole, right? And the uh, broad stakeholder base that touches health IT is always one of those things that's been a rewarding component of the work that I would say I do here at ONC. And, uh, you know, partly when we bring new staff on board, I'm, you know, I, I kind of give them that pep talk of uh, don't be surprised how expansive, you know, our footprint is because it's really the cross-section of healthcare as a whole and I think information blocking, you know, uh, to Congress's credit, you know, identified that, right? So there are the three kind of types or categories of actors, the health healthcare providers, which, you know, in the, the policy speak is a defined term. And there's a whole list that, you know, you could go on and on of all the healthcare providers that are covered. You have developers of certified health IT, and then you have health information networks and health information exchanges, um, you know, as a, as a lump together category themselves. Uh, and when you piece all them together, that's a lot in the healthcare sector that's covered by, you know, this new legal paradigm. You know, and when you look across, often there's the dynamic of people that were eligible for incentives under the EHR incentive programs, you know, affectionately referred to as meaningful use, maybe not so affectionately referred to from, by some people. It's now, you know, changed obviously to uh, a PI. Next, it'll be a symbol. And then, you know, so as we look at those programs, the way that it was set up in the statute as part of the High Tech Act, uh, only certain parts of the healthcare industry were eligible for those incentives. And, you know, we were worried at the time, you know, whether that would create a digital divide, how that would impact care coordination. And that's always been something that we've kept an eye on uh, relative to, you know, the work that we have to do from a health IT and health equity perspective. So when we look at the care continuum, you know, the Cures Act touched on pediatrics a little bit more heavily. And we've been putting out some resources uh, in that regard. You have that patient population. Uh, you zip back over to the other end of the life spectrum and you've got long-term post-acute care. Right. And that's another place that was not necessarily eligible for incentives under the you know, original uh, High Tech Act money. Uh, and then you've got everything in between in terms of behavioral health, mental health, other types of specialty care. And all of those now are trying to connect to whatever your home base is, your, you know, if it's your PCP or if it's a hospital or if you're doing, you know, ADT notifications. You want to make sure that the care community in which those patients are, are, are being served is is aware you know, what's going on. And as you look at, you know, value-based related payment programs and other types of alternative payment, you know, methodologies, all of that, again, back to our earlier, you know, points and questions, all that relies on data, all that relies on newer methods for uh, automating data exchange so that uh, the parties that are involved in delivering care have up-to-date information. Can't leave out the payers. I think I was at an HL7 meeting where I was, I was kind of doing my normal presentation on what's going on in ONC. And I was like, 2020 is going to be the year of the payer. And, you know, it's, that was one prediction that maybe I was like uh, somewhat close to. But you started to see a huge upswell from the payer community, both in terms of care coordination, you know, related engagement, as well as patient engagement directly. And some of that's prompting, you know, from CMS. But equally, there are these other areas of friction, like prior authorization that we talked about already where, you know, that can get, get changed and revised. And uh, the, the care continuum as a whole, you know, it's just, it's just ripe for, you know, some innovative change. Pharmacy is a real interesting place 
where we've spent uh, different you know time in different places. There's a e-care plan you know that was that we've worked on uh, through technical means and worked with the pharmacy community. We certainly have great partners over at NCTDP that we work with. They're involved in prior authorization and you know real-time prescription benefit check uh, related activities. And so you know that space just for medication transactions is uh, super exciting. You know because we're a health IT geek. And then you know lastly uh, the opioid work. Right. And that is another area, you know, from a pharmacist, you know, pharmacy and pharmacist perspective where uh, they're on the front lines and they need information. And so we've been looking at fire, you know, related activities for data exchange to support opioid, you know, related care and medication management related activities. So there is so much work to do that, you know, like I said earlier, I could go on and on about how much we could make change and invest in. uh, And really just, you know, as we look across the care continuum to just a lot of exciting work ahead of us. Yeah, you know, I recently had a payer tell me that uh, they're about 10 years behind the providers when it comes to interoperability, which matches roughly to when ONC started incenting providers to be, you know, have greater use of uh, of technology, EHRs, and, and interoperability and so forth. So it'd be interesting to see how this develops. Seems like ONC has this difficult task of combining uh, goals and vision and innovation with the realities in the market and what's achievable. Can you talk a little bit about how industry participation, testing, pilots uh, help contribute to the knowledge base that drives ONC's rulemaking and industry guidance. And Jocelyn and Pooja, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this as well. Steve? Yeah, so, so this is a, you know, all hands on deck type of thing. You know, we certainly recognize that, that we're, you know, one player in the large field of health IT. In this respect, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of times we take our coordination role seriously. You know, if we had an infinite amount of resources, then we could pay, you know, for all of the things that we'd want to see done. And we could use that that leverage from a procurement you know perspective exert our influence, but that's not how you make lasting change. And so a lot of the efforts and a lot of the engagements that that we get involved in are that longer term vision, that longer term engagement, the continued building of relationships and trust, making sure that as we put things forward, you know, and working with our industry colleagues, that they have buy in, right? And that's one of the things that we work on a lot. You can't regulate your way out of everything. Certainly a lesson, you know, I've learned after many years, you know, it is decent instrument at times if you need to, you know, bring the laggards up to up to par or if you need to push, you know, the industry to, to take that step forward when there's a little bit of hesitation. A well-placed regulatory deadline is very good, you know, motivational tool for a lot of folks. But in between all that space, you got to get work done. And, and how you do that is, you know, getting everybody on board with a consistent vision, with a consistent set of outcomes that you want to achieve. And they have to be practical. So, you know, a lot of times we do work, you know, hand in hand, side by side. You know, a lot of my staff, myself, we go to SEO meetings. And so part of that work that we do is, you know, right at the, at the trench or in the trench. We also make certain investments around prototypes and other pilot testing uh, advances. You know, that's an interest where everyone's like, yes, pilot testing. We want to see it. And then you ask, like, are you willing to invest in it? And they're like, that should be you. And so, you know, that's always a balance that we have. And that, that is especially true when you look at standards conformance testing. Super important. Everybody wants the standards to be tested. Nobody wants to individually put up that sum of money, investment, the SME support, the care and feeding, you know, of a set, you know, a suite of tooling to help in interoperability testing. And so that's an area where we've had a bit of a unique kind of niche in terms of supporting that industry role, you know, and then building in, you know, partners. So we have a fire-based testing tool that we call Inferno. You know, the dad jokes and puns will never end with me. So it's just built into the genetic code. 
And, you know, that's a testing tool that we have a community-based presence for, and we hope that that will build, you know, community opportunity to, um, you know, participate in that code base. But, you know, through something called the Leading Edge Acceleration Project, you know, we've been investing in things that we know are on the horizon. One of them that's made it into the regulatory process, obviously, is around bulk fire, you know, related output and engagement. And that's a big game changer for population analytics, for provider-payer interactions. You know, it's not just that, that patient and provider access use case. It's also going to be, you know, how are you dealing with populations? How are you measuring quality? How are you doing some of these other larger you know, population assessments, how are you feeding into, you know, machine learning and other artificial intelligence related inquiries. And that just has, you know, a kind of wealth of, of opportunity for us going forward. Jocelyn Apuja, anything to... Uh... Yeah, I'm just so excited we got to the pilot topic because, you know, I just could talk at Steve about this for days on end. So I think this is a really important point, though, really, when we look at where we are as an industry, where we really have masses of net new technology and APIs coming into the industry and the work that's happening at Fast, if folks aren't paying attention to it. I know we had Patrick here a few months ago, go back and listen to that podcast or go out and look for it yourself on the ONC site. You know, this idea of how are we scaling the industry and getting the industry ready, right? Who are those early adopters? I'm a recovering product manager. So I don't use the word pilot because nobody likes the word pilot, Steve. They like things that they know are going to ultimately make it make their way to production, right? So even just how we sort of phrase and look at this work around how do we incent and flatten the road for people that want to be early adopters. And I think maybe something I, I I would push back to Steve to see what he thinks about is, I think that one of the challenges that we see with adoption of new standards, you know, I saw this on the EPA side with pharmacy back when we were rolling out, when I was at Navinet with Cover My Meds, the prior off script standard, which works great now, right? But was it was, there were so many just physical blocks and and paradigm blocks to getting through that. Your thoughts around sort of this ongoing conversation we've had over the years around the floor versus the ceiling and that shift to really moving regulation as that, how do you pull the laggards around, but lifting the ceiling for the people that really want to innovate. And, you know, prior authorization is one of my favorite topics, but, you know, to go through the exception process today is a very expensive proposition and a, and a tedious proposition. You know, we have a place in the industry that we know we have existing standards that are falling short. We're seeing great innovation coming out of the industry on ways to solve that. You know, how do ONC and CMS, you know, allow people to to really, how, how do you guys flatten that road? How do you make it easier for people to get to a world where the ceiling has been lifted as long as people are meeting the requirements of the floor for the people that are slower adopters of new technology? Understanding everyone is on a spectrum of, you know, the people from the bleeding edge to the folks that require the stick and the deadline at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, I will go on any metaphorical journey that you want to go on. So, <laughs> you know, like on, uh, you know, on this one, it's, it's almost a question of typically, you know, I would say like in, in recent memory, the experience for the community, right, is surprise, here's a new standard and a regulation. And we have a long history of, of kind of analyzing that and, and starting to chip away at, that, at this problem, right, which has been a bit of a policymaker's dilemma. If the industry isn't willing to pilot something because they're already doing, you know, something else and that's required by regulation and uh, yet, you know, from a policy outcome perspective, you want them to move to the new standard, but then everybody says, we won't move to the new standard until we see it in regulation, 
right? As a product, you know, product manager, you're like, I'm not putting resources, you know, to allocate toward this until the government says so. And so we're always in this kind of herky-jerky type of industry dialogue of like, what would it take for people to move forward? And we've tried to approach this now, and it's interesting relative to the policy instruments that we have available to us. Some of this is statutory authority, you know, related issues. Some of this is how we deal with things in regulation. The HIPAA transaction world obviously has, you know, another decade plus worth of regulatory experience and layers associated with it than the, let's call it the high tech world that, that, you know, I, you know, grew up in and deal with. And, you know, this, the floor and the ceiling is really, is, is a tricky balance for us to, to handle in part because it makes our lawyers nervous, <laughs> you know, at times in terms of how we're implementing the statute. And then equally, you know, we have to look at it from an interoperability perspective that if people are at two different levels, is that okay? And sometimes it is. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a, there's, a, there's a tough friction. You know, the break between ICD-9 and ICD-10 was a hard break. Right. And the break, I think, you know, from the 40-10 to 50-10 transactions, you know, was equally a hard break in kind of the administrative side. But when you look at, like, two script versions from NCPDP, maybe they're not so different, right? One's named in regulation and one the industry really wants to move forward to because they updated, you know, particular things. And you get what you need out of that. And so having these subset versus superset conversations, I think we'll start to advance that, you know, the overall industry understanding a little bit more. We have tried to approach this a little bit differently through some of our new Cures Act authority. So I'm glad for the tee up. We call it the standards version advancement process. So we are looking to go through now on an annual basis for the standards within ONC's regulatory purview to say a new version of this standard that we've adopted in regulation has come out. And, you know, we think it's a superset. I'll just use that for colloquialism. So you get everything that we regulated plus other stuff. And the other stuff is, you know, icing on the cake at this point. Um, but it's okay for you to use that standard because you're all already meeting everything that we regulated. And so long as it doesn't create a discrepancy in interoperability, which is going to be one of the concerns that we're going to have to manage, then we're going to let the community move forward to that standard on a voluntary basis. And so that starts to chart a course with transparency, with greater predictability for our health IT developers, you know, the community that we regulate to say, you know, at some point in the future, this future version may get regulated, but you already know that. And so if you want to move up to that version at some point in your product release cycle, now you know, compared to the prior experience of like a proposed rule gets, you know, popped out on the street and lo and behold, there's this new standard, you know, that everybody wasn't ready for. And that has definitely been a maturation of our thinking, how we do policymaking, still a work in progress. And, you know, hopefully it will, you know, be a good paradigm for, you know, some of the other components of, of HHS policy to, to look to in the future. Huh. As we uh, work towards wrapping up this podcast, uh, Steve, we'd like to give you an opportunity to plug any specific ONC convened program or initiative, either discussed or not today, that you'd like people to know a little bit more about. I mean, we've all got our favorites. Uh, I see we hadn't talked about TEFCA, which happens to be an area that Point of Care Partners has been involved in. I've been uh, getting excited about Sync for Genes. What would you uh, finish us off with here today? Yeah, absolutely. So one that's top of mind for everybody, you know, especially those that uh, interact with and, and tune into the podcast for, for Point of Care Partners is we recently announced that in 2021, we're going to address address with a collaborative, you know, set of stakeholders. So uh, this is a project that we call Project USA, and it's focused on uh, once and for all, get it done in 2021, you know, representing address in a consistent manner across the transactional spectrum in healthcare. 
And that was one of the things that we wanted to focus on the most was, you know, there are clinical transactions, both from HL7 space, the NCPDP space, uh, as well as X12 in the, you know, administrative transaction space. And all of them have fields for address. Address, as you know, all of you all know and your listeners, right, is used for patient matching related purposes, is used for other record, you know, linking and transactional purposes. And there isn't a detailed, consistent, agreed upon, you know, industry approach for representing address. And so with everybody's efforts cumulatively, this gets back to, you know, getting the buy-in, getting everyone to do it. This is something that I think, you know, if it makes sense and people see it as a better way to do it, then they're just going to adopt it, right? Because at this stage, there's nothing better for them to use. Uh, there are some, you know, guidance materials that are available. The United States Postal Service has publication 28. It's a great starting point, but it doesn't get us to the place that we need, you know, to really get to across the industry as a whole. So folks want to join in, we'll have more information available about Project USA. The Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, just for uh, acronym challenge folks, TEFCA. And uh, that is certainly going to, you know, gain more steam in 2021 as we work with the, what's called the Recognized Coordinating Entity, uh, which is a Sequoia project, put out the, the common agreement for public comment. So that would be, you know, one thing to be on the lookout for. Uh, and then certainly there's more work to be done, you know, related to the 21st Century Cures Act and its implementation. Uh, we have areas to touch on related to registry-related engagements, the other care continuum, you know, stakeholders that I talked about. Uh, a little bit more future regulatory work uh, likely on our dance card to implement some of the condition of certification requirements. Chances are probably high that the industry is going to tell us that we didn't address something from an information blocking perspective. So I think that's going to come up, you know, as, as another policy consideration. So all of those are things to look forward to in 2021. Thanks. Uh, I know for TEFCA, uh, many of the commercial entities are uh, very interested in what the cost models will look like, uh, how they might be reimbursed and so forth. All right. So final reactions, thoughts from uh, Pooja and Jocelyn. Uh, Pooja, perhaps you could go first. Sure. So I just want to give Steve a gold star because he's the first one that has brought up pharmacy and e-care plans and PDMPs without me prompting. So thank you for that because I'm always the one, what about pharmacy? What about pharmacy? But I think just to kind of wrap up, I mean, this has been just a great discussion and, and it's nice to hear from the pharmacy side. You know, there is a lot of work that ONC does in that area. And I think sometimes we, we in the pharmacy side and just in general kind of don't recognize that. And, you know, you brought up e-care plans and kind of doing some testing around that. And NCPP Foundation just put out um, a call for proposals to actually do some testing around that. So I think from, you know, from kind of the seat that I sit in on the pharmacy side, paying more attention to what's actually going on at LNC, you know, bringing them in as a stakeholder, I think is going to make a great difference over the next year. And just starting to see kind of the, the PBMs, the pharmacies get more wrapped into the care coordination and the value-based care plans. I think we're going to see a lot of that going forward. So excited to uh, uh, hear kind of the discussion around that and just what, you know, what's coming for next year. Jocelyn? Well, I'd, I'd like to um, thank Steve for keeping up with our pace um, and always answering my questions that I've made in my notes before I get a chance to ask him the questions. So good job there. I think that if what if I were thinking about sort of what's next and sort of where to head with our discussion and always enjoy getting to spend time with the team from ONC and talk about these topics. 
I think that I'd like to see us come back after sort of the dust settles on the existing proposed rules as we really start to understand is there a momentum impact around what's happening with the delay around the info blocking rules themselves and, you know, sort of what does the industry need to do to keep things moving forward. And my favorite pet topic that we didn't talk about, but Steve touched on when he started talking about addresses, which is what are we going to do about patient identifiers in a world where APIs rule, right? Being able to uniquely identify folks. So um, I'm going to queue those topics up so that we have Steve or one of the other ONC teams dance card for 2021 and continue to make great progress. So thank you very much. Okay, great. I want to thank my co-hosts, Pooja Barbara and Jocelyn Keegan, and especially to thank our distinguished guest, Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator of ONC. And thanks to our audience for listening to this edition of Point of Care Partners, The Dish on Health IT. Please follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts. And remember, health IT is a dish, best served hot, have a safe and productive 2021. Thank you for listening. If your organization needs help understanding the fire landscape and developing or updating your interoperability roadmap to reflect requirements of the recent CMS and ONC rules, reach out to us at info at pocp.com.